My name is Phil Lightstone. I'm a general aviation pilot with over 2,100 hours in my logbook, flying almost every week with over 30 years experience in the technology and aviation industries. Just like to welcome into the Plane Talk cockpit, Mark Van Burkle. Mark's an, a very interesting uh, man and he is now the, uh, the new CEO and president of the Canadian Owners and Pilots Association, COPA, starting in the, in the job uh, in May of, uh, of this year. Welcome, Mark. Well, thanks, Phil. Thank you for inviting me to have that. Yeah, I'm pretty new to the job. Yeah, I've been uh, literally a month and maybe a week at this point. Um, so I'm pretty new to the job, but certainly not new to aviation, certainly not new to general aviation in Canada. I see you've got your PPL with the Group 3 IFR rating. And interestingly, you're uh, an aircraft maintenance engineer on the avionics side. Yeah, I've worked my whole, in fact, you know, I had, when I graduated from high school uh, many years ago, I wanted to, I wanted to become a pilot and, but there was no real way for me to do it. You know, it was expensive. I came from, you know, a, a family that was able to, their contribution to putting me through school was letting me live at home. So there was no, you know, there was no bank of mom and dad for me to draw on. And there wasn't really the, the, the scholarships and financing opportunities that are available now for, uh, for people going into aviation that there were so back then. So really, I found myself in university and I went for a year in university and still didn't really know what I wanted to do and ended up picking up a catalog from SAIT, basically with all their, I guess it's called calendar, I guess with all their courses. And what resonated with me was avionics. I had done electronics in high school for three years. I'd won the award in high school for electronics and I loved airplanes. And so avionics became this natural thing I gravitated to. In fact, it was crazy. I didn't even think of it at the time. It didn't even occur to me that airplanes had electronics. Of course, now they have a lot of electronics in them. And so that's how I began my career in aviation and really took my first job uh, out of school, I, I went to Pitt Meadows, British Columbia, worked for this small avionics shop, turned down jobs at Canadian Airlines. I turned down jobs out, out on the East Coast and uh, took it because I could learn to fly. And that was really my passion, uh, you know, showing itself coming out where you, you're, you're, you're making decisions with your heart and not always with your head. But I wanted to fly. Wow. And I see that you know, eight years at Transport Canada as a chief avionics specialist, four years at Aeroproduct Sale, a year and a half at SATCOM Direct Avionics, but pretty interesting, 12 years president and CEO of True North Avionics, and back in 2012, the uh, Ottawa Business Journal uh, gave your company, under your leadership, uh, an award for one of the fastest growing uh, companies. Yeah, so I did do some stints there. I, so when I left British Columbia, I moved to Ottawa and I did work for Transport Canada on the operational side. I, I was never a regulatory uh, person. I was on the operational side and I was looking after uh, the aircraft, all the avionics modifications that were being done on those aircraft. Uh, I was looking after them and I was a great job. 
And I found myself putting uh, the satellite telephone systems on uh, the prime minister's corporate jet. And uh, it was the first, nobody had done this. This is, this is back in the late nineties or, you know, mid to late nineties and nobody really knew anything about it. So I learned about it. It was part of my forte and I was learning about it. It was something that was really cool. I mean, this is when people, most people didn't even have an internet at home yet. Right. You know, there was, there was that sort of thing where, you know, putting a telephone on a jet was a, was a big deal. Or a cell phone. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a cell phone, but was using it was using a satellite system that actually was Canadian developed. Uh, Intelisat had had a satellite system. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. there was a local Canadian company that was doing this. We were using their satellite antenna and their radome, and I actually did a lot of the you know, help with the certification work for that radome and for that an- antenna installation on the tail of a Challenger jet. Uh, for which I think some of the data is still being used today um, by various wow. service centers and even Bombardier. And so it happened to be that, you know, this is when Nortel has got their big tech boom and they're hiring away technical people and engineers, you know, all over the place. Well, I found myself being offered a job by this local company to come work. And I really didn't want to, really wasn't looking to, to move, but it made sense to me at the time, uh, a couple of young kids and and that, and it was an opportunity. So I left, the, I left Transport Canada and went there. And from there, I learned a lot about the satellite communication business uh, to the point where um, after working there about four or five years, I started my own company. And that's really the True North Avionics story was me starting something, me uh, mm-hmm. going off on my own, seeing a business opportunity because they were doing telephones and they had started on the doing an internet system for the jets, but nobody was doing voice over IP and nobody was doing all these things that are absolutely very common today. You know, this whole converged communication stuff that's going on, telephones and internet and Wi-Fi and all this. And that's what True North was all about. And so I started that in 2006, uh, ended up uh, selling the company in 2016, so 10 years later to the to the company to SACOM Direct out of uh, Melbourne, Florida. And now I find myself as the present CEO uh, at COPA. Well, welcome aboard. It certainly sounds like you have this interesting blend of experience that can really help grow COPA in an environment of declining pilots uh, here in Canada, pilot shortage, declining airplanes and uh, airports under threat of closure. Yeah, I, you know what? Absolutely, all of those things. The the one thing that I would like to bring we we talk a lot about you know we talk about a lot of the negativity in in aviation that's going on today. We talk about regulatory challenges. We talk about airspace challenges. We talk about uh, airports closing and that. And I I'd like to go back and remember the the romance. I mean, the thing that brought me into aviation, you know, was was the idea that I was, you know, my dad and I would go down to the airport with a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken and watch airplanes. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's really where I grew. And and like I said, I made some decisions in my early life because of the love of airplanes. And we forget about the love of flying. All of us fly, those who fly, we love it. It's it's freedom. It 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 you know there was never there's never been I mean there's been flights where they've been challenging and they've been a lot of work and you're glad that they're over. But 
there's so many other times where it's just been like, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe how wonderful this is. I mean, I, I've landed, I've had some great flights where I feel like I'm still flying, you know, three hours after the flight, I'm still flying. I like, I just, just such a beautiful, wonderful feeling. I mean, the approach into Billy Bishop airport in Toronto, if, if anybody has not done that, it's a definitely uh, aviation bucket list to do because you feel like an eagle as you fly over Lake Ontario and you make the approach in uh, towards the city. It's just, you can't describe how, how, how you feel about it. So back to your question. Yeah, there's airport closures and there's challenges to, 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 to aviation, but we, we have to, I think for us to bring new people in to aviation, and this is all of our jobs as pilots, because we should be introducing the love of aviation to those who are, would be interested in, in knowing about it. Um, is is rem- is remember the good things uh, you know that the airport closures and and that we have to fight them and we have, and that's what copa is 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 doing you know with advocacy role but we have to remember the, the the love of aviation that we that we have and that's really why how we bring new people into uh, into aviation quite frankly and and that and that fundamentally is the grassroots of dealing with the pilot shortage in yep. in North America whether it's the uh, Copa for Kids uh, program that I've participated in personally, or yep. EAA's uh, Young Eagles. Yep. You know, uh, our Copa flight at uh, the Buttonville Municipal Airport, we would see 200, 250 kids being flown in, uh, you know, on a Saturday. And of course, the airport abuzz with parents, activity, pilots, ground crew. I mean, absolutely amazing to see the you know, the wide-eyed kids, you know, the seven-year-old getting out of the airplane, you know, running to mom or dad. For sure. Uh, yeah, and the Copa for Kids, I think it's been rebranded as Discover Aviation, but same concept is to try and introduce, you know, aviation to younger a younger generation. I mean, quite frankly, I'm an example of that, as I told, as I said from the beginning of the story. It, it never even dawned on me that there was airplanes and electronics that were even connected together, right? And so, uh, you know, we need to do, we, and I'm talking about the pilot community, not just COPA, but we need to do a better job of introducing people to aviation. And whether it's flying, whether it's maintenance, whether it's, you know, there's so many aspects of it. I mean, it's aviation is a huge economic driver you know it it oftentimes gets uh, put on the back burner for bigger things but honestly it's just think of how much humanity has benefited from aviation uh, over the short period of time when you think about when you know the Wright brothers essentially uh, you know uh, had their initial flight from from Kitty Hawk and you think about where we are today and you you look at aviation it's, it's amazing I mean, you can get on a jet and fly, and I can be—I could be in London tonight doing business tomorrow. It, it just didn't. Amazing. It's—it's it's absolutely amazing, but it all starts with with that small airport, the little the little you know those Cessna 150s and the training and and the desire for somebody to 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 have that spark and that imagination and, and that passion to say I want to do that, I want to fly. And, and it's, it's in a lot of us, 
for sure. Uh, almost, um, maybe it's maybe it's a character flaw for some of us. Like you know, <laughs> but my 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 wife will often say, we, you know, how do you know, you know, go to go to a social event and how do you know someone's a pilot? They'll tell you in five minutes, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you know, with that uh, that said, I think in the Canadian context, we so rarely see airports being closed. Yeah. And there's really no playbook on how to how to do that. And I think a lot of us here in the Greater Toronto area were taken by surprise on May 30, 31st when we got notification that the uh, Buttonville Airport uh, was going to to close and some 200-ish aircraft the, uh, being displaced. I suppose it's a bit of a challenge with folks that um, on the GA side that have aviation in their DNA to start a new chapter. Friends, different airport, different environment, different place to, to have that uh, hangar coffee, chit chat. Yeah, it, it is absolutely disappointing. I mean, the, the Buttonville airport closure at this point was not really going to be a surprise. I mean, they've been talking about it for so, so many years, and it had been on again, off again. Uh, but what's really disappointing, the most disappointing, is that there was no plan. Like, there was no there was no one, there was no from municipal governments, there was no provincial government, certainly no federal government leadership in saying, okay, it's closing, but this is what we're doing next. Um, I think that general aviation and aviation maybe in general is neglected by uh by our you know elected leaders um and and officials because i don't see that they they do not see and and maybe this is you know partially our fault that they do not see the economic benefits that come from aviation and you know when they stand back and look and say oh there's a pilot shortage you know when it comes down to that you want you can't fly to cancun for your march break that's when they turn around and say well why oh there's a pilot shortage well what happened like they look back and don't realize we're all part of the problem the the you know the airports and the small airports and big airports but small airports they're the bridge to economic success for any region you know when i used my airplane you know one of the reasons i and i've had multiple airplanes over the years but i had an airplane that i used for business it was my personal airplane i used it like a car and i used it for business but it allowed me to go to places that i that were really really more difficult to get to but i could easily land at a small airport rent a car and be visiting a customer lots of times my customers were at the airport so it was even easier but the ability for me to get more done, it's amazing. Airplanes are time machines. Airplanes allow things, businesses to act faster, to people to get to places they need to go faster. Uh, and they really are time machines. And they, they have a huge benefit, economic benefit. You know, the number, Think of the number of jobs that just at Buttonville Airport, even the FBO staff, the, the, the guy who rented a car there. I, you know, there was flying schools. There was a maintenance thing. There's all the hangarage uh that was there and all those people were spending money I mean, every single one of those airport and trust me as a guy who owns an airplane you spend a lot of money uh and uh <laughs> everybody there was spending money okay and that all goes away and i there's no plan for it like it's that's the that's the disappointing thing i i feel like we've been let down on that side of things so we i don't know how we change it but we need to change it right 
Yeah, I think to your point, hit the nail on the head, which is all about the politicians to, to understand the importance of mission-critical infrastructure, like our roughly 1,900-plus airports in Canada. Uh, at Buttonville during the ice storms in Quebec, our flying club flew medical relief missions out of Toronto into Montreal. And it's, you know, it really seems that the politicians think of aviation in the Canadian context as about, um, you know, tourism and uh, passenger travel, which is a big part of it. But I think they uh, seem to forget about the bulk of uh, Canadian, Canadian airports, probably reflected in the composition of uh, the Canadian National uh, Air Transportation Plan which uh, my understanding doesn't really talk very much about general aviation and protecting it. And, no, uh, everybody's worried about losing your bags at Pearson. That, that seems to be the focus. Yeah. That seems to be the focus of a lot of, a, a lot of what Transport Canada, the Minister of Transport has been focused on lately and, and not focused on all of these other you know, challenges to, 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 to not just to general aviation. I mean, obviously, that's my primary focus is general aviation, but aviation in general. Aviation is challenged. It's, it's not looked on in the same light uh, that it was 25, 30 years ago. Uh, in, in, in my opinion, it's, it's taken a backseat, but people forget that, you know, they're worried about delayed flights. Well, it, everything comes back to crew resources. I mean, Transport Canada has put put things in place, uh, you know, that, that are inhibiting and, and causing, impeding, you know, airlines to, to operate better and it impedes us too. And then, and then allowing some of these airport authorities to basically, you know, that Transport Canada is a leaseholder on lots of the airport lands. And then allowing some of these airport operators to basically exclude us. They don't say no, but they make it very, financially un, uh, unattractive to go to some airports in Canada. So <laughs> not that we're going to mention them. No, name, I'm, not, I'm certainly not. No, but they know who they are. If they're, if they're listening yeah. to your podcast, <laughs> I'm talking directly to you. You know who you are. Yeah. And that's this whole, you know, one of the uh, outcomes, interestingly, out of uh, the closure of Buttonville is a ripple impact to the cost of hangarage and tie downs at yep. uh, at the seven regional airport yeah it's certainly it's certainly not a recipe for growing um growing aviation i mean there's there is a lot of cha- there is a lot of challenges uh and like i said there it didn't appear to me that there was any plan to how to replace uh buttonville that nobody's really looked at it and said well you know, and this again, it, it wasn't a surprise to the to, to the pilot community of Buttonville because it's been going on. But it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to to any of the you know elected officials uh, at at all the levels of government that they haven't said, "Hey, this is important to us. Uh, I want that resource." Uh, I, you know what, Buttonville, you're going to lose a resource. I'm going to gain a resource, and putting it in in their in their areas and. You know, f- frankly, there is a lot of pressures, financial pressures to uh, to it. I have often thought this, and I like I'm an aviation nut, as it might be, right? 
because I've worked the whole time and I'm, you know, I continue to buy airplanes and, 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 <laughs> and do, and do things like that. Um, so, so I, I might have some biases here is what I'm saying. That's but, okay. <laughs> you're, you're talking to a biased I'm, audience. It's all I, good. <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm sure I am. But, but the reality I think about it is like, if I didn't love this so much, why would I continue to do this? I mean, like it's so, you, you got to figure that there's so many other things, great things, activities, buy a boat, some jet skis, so many other things that don't have the same challenges to it. I mean, it's not like you can just land your tri-pacer anywhere. It has to go to an airport. Owning an airplane is is having access to an airport that's in your c community. I mean, you're not, you're not going to take, you're not going to move the the button, you know, from Buttonville to, to, uh, I don't know, uh, Winnipeg or something like that. It just doesn't make sense, you know? So it's not like you can just do that. So you need an airport that's, that's regionally located. You need to have some space to park it, some place to put it, tie it down, hopefully hangar it. If that's, if that's in your game plan, you need access to fuel at the airport for it. And you need an airport. And lots of these things are outside of your control. If it, go back to my boat example, right? You buy a boat, you put it on a trailer, you park it in your in your driveway, and on Saturdays and Sundays you take it down and launch it. And it's it's you know you need a boat launch. You need water, obviously. If you're in the middle of the prairies, you can't own a boat per se. But you know, <laughs> I'm just saying that there's there's so many other things that it doesn't surprise me that sometimes people throw in the towel, and we don't want them to. We want that. We want a vibrant active aviation community i mean i think it really is it really is a beautiful thing uh, like i said it's it's the last great freedom honestly uh that we have the, the the fact that i can take myself from this point move myself through the air and go to another point and do that you know safely and efficiently it's amazing that that we that that humans are able to do this it's just it's it's amazing and i th i think it's an interesting comment uh, you made looking back in the rearview mirror back to the 70s the federal government had the foresight to set aside 18,000 acres of huh. land they're building their airports airport. everywhere <laughs> yeah exactly but it seems that the politicians have absolute don't seem to have a lot of desire to pull the trigger on pickering yeah yeah, I, I and I don't understand all of the dynamics behind that for sure, and and I need to get smarter on it to be honest with you because I think that is something that needs to be done. It's even more urgent now, uh, now with Buttonville closing. I think that there needs to be another uh, GA centric, uh, you know, aviation center. Let me call it that versus just an airport. But there needs there needs to be that. Let me just wind the tape back there to what you just said, Phil. I think the 70s were important and we build all that because we were in the midst of a Cold War and we were we were coming out of World War II. You know, it have happened, a few, happened a few decades before, but there was still that understanding about how important aviation was, like the air superiority of World War II. Two, that was still fresh in a lot of people's mind, especially the politicians of the day. They would have been uh, younger, obviously, but they would that would have been fresh in their mind. I don't think the current politicians of the day realize or have that same DNA built into them. And part of that is is maybe why we're seeing they don't see aviation for what it was and for what it is and for what it can be. 
they're lost in the in the in their own dogma of losing losing uh, luggage at Toronto or, or or missing flights out of Cancun. That's where they see aviation. They don't see it as the great thing that it was. I think you're ab- absolutely right, and probably a hard point on your comment is the cancelling of the uh, Avro Aero project. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. And with that said, just transitioning the conversation um, again as a reminder to the Canadian pilot community, we've got this pesky NPA from our friends at Transport Canada focusing on new rules for uh, for night flight. Yes, yes. And that was a, that was dropped on my desk day one. Like I, I started that day, I started and it dropped on my desk. It was the first thing welcome I got to, to exactly. That was my welcome <laughs> desk. You know, there was nobody welcome brought in Copa. donuts. Nobody brought me in donuts. Nobody no brought coffee, me coffee. Cup. Nothing like that. Here, here's an NPA. You need to look at this. Um, yeah, and can you have it done for next week? Yeah, it's due in June. Yeah, yeah. We fortunately, I I, I understand it's being pushed. Yeah, out, well, which and is, it's to be honest with you, it's being pushed because we. We pushed it. Copa was Copa took the the pointy end of the spear here, uh, and we had meetings with Transport Canada, and we made good, compelling arguments to them that this was going too quickly, uh, and and they didn't care that I had just started the job, so that wasn't that wasn't the argument. But it was the arguments that we wanted something. We needed more time. If they if they wanted quality. We needed we needed more time, right? So we needed a little bit more quantity if they wanted quality. So they and they they granted our ask. So uh, kudos to them for doing that because when they started the conversation with us, they said, "So we've been asked to to extend the deadline, but the answer is no." And uh, now, what's your question? <laughs> so, so, but we made it. We made a good argument to them, compelling argument, and we've had a lot of feedback. And thank you uh, to the members who who are feedbacking because quite honest they need to hear your voice okay the voice of the membership and pilots in general i'm speaking directly because i I had sent out some messages directly to our members asking for comments to to transport canada but pilots in general should should make themselves aware of this i'm not trying to tell anyone how they should or should not feel about the npa uh, but I am saying you, you, we need to participate in the CARIC process. And this is the reason. One of the biggest things, problems with this is there was no, at least in my opinion, no industry consultation on this NPA. This NPA was done pretty much um, in the dark. <laughs> and I say that. Excuse like, the pun. <laughs> it, yeah, it was done in the dark and without real proper industry consultation. So what I think is very important is that Transport Canada hears that pilots, owners, operators want to be heard and they need to follow their own process. They're not following their own CARIC process, in my opinion. They're, they are doing it outside of what's published policies and processes, okay? They're supposed to be consulting with industry, um, the industry that, that's applicable, the stakeholders, as it were. And, you know, COPA is 13,000 members, okay? We're the largest aviation organization in Canada, certainly the largest general aviation organization in Canada. We should have some input to this. It's, it, it can't just be happening without any, any consultation. And so them hearing 
that and them hearing the comments, the individualized comments to, you know, I, I, a lot of people have asked, can you just give us a canned thing? That's actually, what's not great about that is Transport Canada looks like at all those canned answers as one answer. And even though they hear it 13,000 times, maybe it's one answer. So they only have to answer it once. I like it when people familiarize themselves with the issues and write what they feel good or bad. I mean, if you love the NPA, write, write, I love the NPA. I can't wait for it to happen. Um, you know, that's, if that's really how you feel about it, but I think everybody should be concerned that the regulator is doing things without, without following their own processes, by the way, which if we did this, it would be a very bad thing. We'd be in trouble, but they're, they're doing it without following their own processes and they're, and they're making very broad sweeping changes and not thinking about the unintended consequences. Is everything in that NPA bad? No, it's not. There's some things that are good and I see the intent of trying to improve VFR night flight. I do. I don't agree with the execution and how they're planning to do it, but certainly you know, until we have zero accidents, aviation always has risks and we should be mitigating risks. What I don't like is over-regulation. I believe in safety with the minimal amount of regulations as possible and not over-regulation because over-regulation ends up having unintended consequences and you get people doing things that are safe are not legal and sometimes that are legal are not safe. And I don't like to be in, over-regulation creates that environment. And to put things in context, the the number of incidents and accident, uh, accidents in Canada is, you know, just slightly north of a hundred um, accidents uh, in in the GA side a year, uh, just north of a hundred. And we contrast that to to the automotive sector, where yeah. I'm sure there's that number in a day here in the. In the GTA, there, there, there absolutely is. I mean, if you really wanted to go to brass tacks and figure out how to save lives anywhere, you, you, you'd, you'd shut down fast food restaurants. I'll be honest with you, because there's more people die of heart attacks than than That's anything, true. right? I mean, like, so, so it's not about that. I mean, when when you look at, listen, aviation has risks. There's absolutely inherent risks built into it. We as pilots, hopefully, all understand what they are and mitigate them the best that we can. But they're certainly not without risks. You're waking up this morning and coming into the office, there was risks with that. But I, but they're acceptable risks, so I do it, right? And for me, aviation, there's acceptable, acceptable risks. I mitigate them as best I can, and I do it. And, you know, so, so we all understand that. I mean, we're, we're, we're all adults in the room. We're all licensed pilots that are, that are doing these activities. And... And, you know, there's currency requirements, there's recency requirements, and we're doing it, okay? And we're doing the best. There's always going to be an accident that happens. That's why they're called accidents. And you can never regulate all of them. You can never regulate them to zero. It doesn't work that way. We, there has to be a culture of safety. There has to be better pilot decision-making because that's honestly what happens most of the time is that there are some bad decisions that got made or maybe not bad decisions, but decisions that could have been made differently that would have maybe changed the outcomes. Maybe that's, that's where the, that's where the work is. Honestly, the work is, the work is trying to better pilot decision-making, better understanding of the risks, you know, a better, because once you understand the risks, then you can start planning a mitigation strategy against them. 
but some of these things and you know this 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 concept of changing the ICAO standard you know the vmc uh vmc imc definitions to what they're going to call visual flight conditions vfc so they're changing they're changing the definition that's been an ICAO standard for many many years and they're introducing something called cultural lighting which is the lighting on the ground and something called celestial lighting which is the stars and the moon and and that well, how does a pilot make a decision based on those conditions? There's no forecasting tool. There's no, there's no forecast. I can't go on ForeFlight or FlightPlan.com or, or even the or even Nav Canada's website and, and find what the cultural lighting forecast is going to be or what the celestial lighting forecast is going to be. Unfortunately, it's you only know it when you're there and when you see it with your own Mark II eyeballs and say, yeah. Wow, it's not as bright as it was supposed to be tonight. Or oh, it's not that you know I can't you know. And but that's that's where that's some of the things that I don't think have been properly thought out. And 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 part of it I think is with this NPA in particular, Transport Canada is trying to answer a, a TSB finding. Okay, and and in doing that, they've painted this with a broad brush, likely because I don't think they're you know maybe they're not working as cohesively as a team right now because of you know a lot of remote work is going on so maybe they're not talking as much as they should be internally i don't know um these are speculations on my part but certainly i mean there's a lot of i don't disagree necessarily with trying to get better and safer night vfr okay full stop i'll just say that i disagree with the way that they're that they think they're going to fix it by through this NPA because I don't agree that this has been properly thought out. It certainly hasn't had any industry stakeholder consultation, in my opinion. I that's where that's where I think we're flawed. Uh, do I do do I think night VFR could be safer? Absolutely, I agree with I, I, I agree with that concept. But that starts with pilots and decision making and mitigating risks. And the NPA talks about night vision imaging systems. Yeah. Uh, and I'm expecting that that's not something you buy at, on Amazon for $500. <laughs> oh, it's it's even worse than that because not only is it not available, it's pro you probably even if you legitimately could buy it, you couldn't buy it because they're restricted. Okay, they're restricted for you know police and fire and medical and military use. They're 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 kind of a restricted not prohibited item, but they're, they're definitely restricted item. There would be an ITAR restricted item for sure. If you were a company making them, you would, you would have all kinds of ITAR restrictions on you about that, which is this, you know, you can't sell things to certain people in the world because if they're bad people, you're not allowed to sell them. So there's ITAR restrictions. And the other thing is too, you haven't thought about, or nobody's thought about is that, well, the, the, the whole cockpit has to be NVIS capable. So not only, if, even if you could buy those things on Amazon, you'd be replacing every single instrument and lighting in the aircraft to be NVIS capable, okay? The airports you go into have to be NVIS capable. All the, all the runway lighting and all that stuff has to be NVIS capable. Otherwise, they just bloom and you can't see anything. All you see is this huge bloom target from the light, right? So they, so they have to change the lighting at, at, at runways and airports and that. And then, by the way, you need training. You know, all of this thing about currency and recency and night thing. Now, all of a sudden, you'd have to have NVIS training. You probably have to do some flights with somebody to show that you actually can operate with an NVIS goggles on and stuff like it's 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 a ridiculous concept to to even think that GA 
could even possibly that this even would be applicable. It, it's just it, it's so ridiculous. And this is where I think that you know they're trying to answer this. I agree with Envis for the for 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 medivac helicopters, for special ops, for police helicopters. These guys are highly specially trained. And they and those helicopters are all already outfitted uh, for Envis capable, but and this is where I think things have been painted with a broad brush, and no one's thought about the unintended consequences. You know, to your point, I uh, contacted a Canadian Envis manufacturer mm -hmm. just to talk about an interview and get more details. Just to even get more details from them. Talk to the president. Won't mention who the company. Absolutely did not want to talk to me. Have a nice day. Go away. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you're, you're a time waster to him. He's like, he's like thinking, who, what is this guy? He's not going to buy Envis goggles for his airplane. Like, Big challenge. And as you said, we really need to get the membership out in their own words to respond to Transport Canada's. That's the most powerful uh, thing, honestly. If, if they had, if had 13,000 comments, they would have to have 13,000 responses. And... The reality, I think that they would get an overwhelmingly wow. We didn't think, we didn't realize that this was such a hot button, and it, it should be a hot button. But the biggest hot button is, please, let us have it. And that's actually the other. So the other part of the equation. So not only did we get an extension uh, to July sixth. So if anybody's wondering what that is, you need to have your comments in by July sixth, and and copy the COPA go on and copy copa's office onto it we like to also see them just to catalog them know how how much response we've had it helps us with our conversations with transport canada in the future the reality is is that that they need to they need to understand that we care and we want to be an industry stakeholder and so they they committed to giving us an extension but they committed to giving us a seat at the table at the next round so at least we at least we got ourselves invited to the party as it were which we weren't before uh, they didn't think it was necessary to talk to us for some reason so yeah. well that's not cool no and that's that's the thing and by the way i've, I've had conversations with other industry uh, stakeholders that don't necessarily have a night vfr component because some of them are you know uh, gliders and stuff like that but they should be care they should care that this is affecting us today as copa members but they could do something in the future that would affect you. And they'll do it in the same way and means in the fact that there will just be an NPA. It'll hit the streets. You got 30 days to respond to it. Uh, have a nice day. And that's not a way that is not the process. The Carrick process is very clear in how it's supposed to go down. It's very clear. Uh, you know, we're not complaining about something that we just made up. We're saying you guys are not following the process. So that is the, in my opinion, that's the number one sin. And the, and the number two, three, four, five sins are all the other things that we've talked about. There's has not been properly thought out and executed in Mark's opinion. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you so much for being part of the Plain Talk cockpit. Any final words for, uh, for the audience? Uh, only that, you know, this is a pretty interesting opportunity for me. Uh, I really do hope that I'm, you know, going to serve the membership well. I want to, I want people to realize that I, I want to be accessible. So I like doing these types of things, Phil. Um, certainly anybody can email. I believe it or not, if you email president at copanational.org, I read them. I respond to them. I mean, if you ask me a question, 
I, I'll respond to you uh, if there's something in particular uh, you need to know. But certainly, I think actually, well, one last thing I will say that this is also maybe a catalyst to bring industry partners together. I've had we've had conversations with ATAC and NADA and the you know the gliding uh, gliding association and CBAA and all these. So maybe this is a real catalyst for us for us to come together. So the NPA could actually the the silver lining as it were. Uh, could be that it maybe is an opportunity to unite uh, some of the other industry stakeholders together into a more cohesive voice. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's a, a, a good thing. But certainly COPA is doing its best to serve its members, to understand what the membership needs are. We're, we're the on the forefront of advocacy, the freedom to fly, and basically removing barriers and obstacles from aviation, trying to introduce new people into aviation that maybe don't have those opportunities. Because I really do think that aviation is a rich and vibrant thing, something that has added immense and tremendous value to my life. And I certainly like to share that with others. And that's that's my close, those are my closing remark. <laughs> Thanks for letting me participate, Phil. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plane Talk. If you have any ideas for a future Plain Talk episode, please go to the Contact Us page at plaintalk.ca and send in your idea. Don't forget to like us at plaintalk.ca, our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and this podcast. And never stop living the dream.